through just different modalities. Um, mm. Well, the modalities came around this time of um, deciding to take a trip to Bali and my first solo trip where I wanted to just be with myself. And I had mm. been sort of chasing experiences and realized that that wasn't fulfilling me. And so mm. there was a friend that inspired me who had gone to Bali and, um, you know, I had read the book, Eat, Pray, Love, and I was really mm. feeling inspired that I was in that place of self-discovery. And so mm. I found this spiritual retreat in Bali and I traveled for a week alone in Bali. And then another week I had at this retreat and I got exposed to Reiki, um, to Chini Sang, which is a Chinese abdominal massage, Chinese astrology, kinesiology, and another, uh, a couple other healing modalities mm. and yoga and meditation. And, um, and then when I came back, there was just this like sort of knowing of like, I need to connect with Reiki. Hello, everyone. I am your host, Blyan, and I believe that our trials and tribulations have a purpose. They are the kick in the ass we need to discover ourselves more deeply and grow as humans. Those of us who are committed to growth can use our setbacks to propel ourselves exponentially. In this episode, I'm joined by Virpal, who is a testament of the courage within the feminine spirit. Come join us as we learn how she stepped out of her comfort zone to challenge the status quo as it relates to the place of women in her community, as well as her journey and discovery of Reiki. If you enjoyed today's episode, please consider sharing it with someone you've lost touch who would appreciate hearing from you. Till the next episode, love and light. I'm super excited and not going to lie, a little bit nervous, um, really about sharing my story. But I think it's, I'm, I'm just really thinking about um, stepping into inspiring others to also share their story. So thank you so much. Yes, thank you so much for sharing that because the road to inspire others is often fraught with fear and nervousness and all the emotions that's very normal for you to be feeling. And um, it takes an effort to summon great courage to think beyond ourselves um, in the interest of serving humanity. And, and for that, I'm grateful to you. And I am grateful to our audience who are joining in the here and now, as well as who will, you know, um, experience this, um, you know, um, in time. And so with that, if it's okay with you, uh, may I start by sharing um, a uh, introduction? That'd be wonderful. Thank you. Fantastic. So uh, welcome again um, to our audience and to our guest um, to episode 19 
of the Get Out of Your Comfort Zone podcast series. I am so excited um, for our guest today. Um, uh, she is uh, uh, an energetic healer and an overall badass woman. Uh, Virpal uh, grew up um, in San Jose. Um, she grew up in the U.S. Um, it's currently in her um, early 30s um, with two older siblings. Um, and one thing to note, um, Virpal comes from an immigrant family. Her ethnicity, her heritage is Punjabi um, Indian. Um, and the other important thing to note is that she is the only daughter uh, of her family. Uh, as far as her background goes, she um, was trained uh, with both her bachelor's as well as her master's in business and, and had quite the prolific career uh, in the corporate world um, before, um, you know, sort of embarking on this current path. Um, in some respects, uh, Virpal is also a global citizen, citizen having lived um, in India and obviously visited uh, a few places around uh, the globe. Part of the reason why I am very excited um, to, to share Virpal's story is for two reasons. First being her experience as a woman who is a person of color and the immigrant experience um, you know, that, that, that she um, sort of grew through and some of the growing pains of uh, empowering herself. Additionally, you know, as the title suggests, um, this episode is also going to focus on energetic healing. And I know that this is an area where there are a lot of perceptions around the veracity of um, energetic healing. Uh, people sort of doubt and question. And having somebody who very much um, fit the box of this very corporate-centric and you know, career-focused um, individual who speaks from their experience of um, you know, energetic healings and topics that a lot of us don't know a lot about and have questions about as a result of our um, lack of enlightenment, um, I thought it would be very important and quite valuable to hear from somebody who comes from our world, right? Um, as somebody uh, who uh, might uh, solicit more trust. So with that, uh, Ripple, do you feel like I was able to encapsulate everything or is there anything that you would like to add? before we dive into it. No, thank you so much. And I just wanna also just say, um, I think you dated me a little bit, making me a little younger than I am. I'm actually in my early 40s. Okay. Um, so just wanted to make that correction. Um, yeah, so hi everybody, my name is Veer Paul, and I am super, super excited to be here and really just share whatever I can about my own personal experience so I can inspire others and really hope that 
this gives people courage as it is taking me courage to also share my story to really start breaking the chains of, um, you know, the story that women need to really hold their truth. And I think it's time for us um, as women to start really speaking our truth and starting to change ancestral patterns. So thank you so much. Here, here. Thank you. So why don't we begin by first uh, talking about uh, the story of how you and I met? Yeah, I think it was a really divinely orchestrated meeting. Um, so we were at the Center SF for open mic night. And um, I had just finished a Reiki-infused gong bath activation at the center. So I was there with a few friends. And, you know, I always take the time when I feel called to go to open mic and also share a song, uh, actually a sacred hymn from my Sikh ancestry. And so Lion was there with some friends just kind of passing through San Francisco. And he shared a poem and then also supported another friend with some music. And I think it was really your vulnerability and your courage to really just share who you are really authentically that really um, instantly kind of made me think about who is this guy and really your name, Lion, because that is something that I have been really finding internally is really connecting to my lioness with my Sikh heritage but really remembering to have this courage to speak. And so, um, you know, and then when I shared my hymn um, playing on the harmonium, it was really, really a connection because you talked about rainbows. And, you know, for me, rainbows are a big part of my life. They have always been since I was a kid. And really the fact that I practice Reiki, the chakra system is often represented by the rainbows. And rainbows represent unity for me. So I thought it was really nice to also see uh, another South Asian brother that was there um, really speaking your truth and inspiring others, whether it was uncomfortable or not for you. I think sometimes that's something that I sit with is discomfort of really sharing who I am very authentically. And to be honest, in spaces that are often um, really... Uh, don't have a lot of people of color in them. So I was really connecting with you on that part of it, on our ancestry and just your courage. So thank you for for just being who you are and really inspiring me to to also stand up there and say the things that are uncomfortable. Thank you for sharing that. Thank you for sharing that. Um, and I, I really appreciate um, the kind words you shared. And I think this would be a great opportunity um, to stress the importance of showing up in places like open mics where everyday people um, are tapping into their divine spirit, which is another way that I refer to the creative spirit because all creativity in my book comes from a divine place and showing up to, um, you know, not only witness and see, um, everyday people, 
um, you know, sort of um, showing their courage through their art, uh, but actually building a devotional practice around showing up, uh, maybe with the intention of waking up the artist or musician within. I have found that our inner child, um, you know, loves to create and places like the open mics are very um, uh, relatable places uh, that are not very intimidating uh, because of just the community and sense of support um, around, um, you know, people who come to share. And so let this be a call. If you are listening to this episode to please look up an open mic near you and, and go. Uh, if you've never been, and if you have been, try going more often. So th thank you uh, um, for sharing that, Virpal. Um, with that, let's spend a little bit of time um, understanding what was it like growing up uh, for you uh, in the Sikh community? Um, and if we could sort of start there and, yeah. Yeah, so I was um, deeply entrenched in my community growing up, and mm -hmm. I went to temple regularly with my parents. I have two older brothers, and they were often not with us, so it was just mm -hmm. me and my parents. And they, you know, enrolled me in Khalsa school, which is sort of a spiritual warrior school, or you can call it Sunday school for six. Mm -hmm. And they really wanted me to learn all about our teachings and our heritage, which I'm super, super mm -hmm. grateful for. And mm -hmm. I think, in, you know, when I was a kid, didn't really understand the value of it. And mm -hmm. now as an adult, having come back to my spirituality, um, really, really appreciating that. Um, but my parents really went out of their way to make sure that I was learning how to read and write in our mm -hmm. native tongue. And, um, you know, making sure that that stayed alive and learning about our Sikh teachings by reading um, our um, scriptures and also learning music. <clears throat> so mm -hmm. music is a huge part of um, the Sikh community in Kirtan, Kirtan being, uh, playing the harmonium and mm -hmm. tabla. And so, yeah, they, they made sure that I was learning all of that. Um, so that was sort of the start and introduction mm -hmm for me into spirituality and connection to the divine. Mm -hmm. And you know, that's so special because as an immigrant uh, myself, you know, I grew up in an environment where it was more easy to be completely surrounded by, you know, the tradition that your parents wanted to raise the children in. Um, and I know that it's sort of more challenging to do so in the United States. And I think, you know, um, really uh, got to give it up to your parents for prioritizing that to give you the gift of such a strong foundation in understanding the great lineage that you hail from and, and you know, the greatness of your ancestors, right? Um, you were able to appreciate that at a very young age. So with that, um, it'd be really interesting to uh, understand something that came up in our conversation um, in the lead up to today's episode is you ch chose to 
step out of your comfort zone um, by um, falling, uh, you know, by choosing to date or, you know, finding yourself, um, you know, being uh, romantically involved with somebody who is not from the same faith as you. Um, can we talk a little bit about that and how um, that impacted your life as it relates to your family dynamics? Yeah, so I uh, went away to school, moved down mm -hmm. to L.A., and, um, you know, this was my first sort of experience of really stepping away from my community and my family. And, of course, mm -hmm. there was community there, and I flocked to them. Um, but it was really the first time that I was able to sort of see who I was or start to explore who I was outside of my family structure mm -hmm. and outside of the community. And so, um, you know, at some point in college, I, I met somebody who was not of the same faith. And, um, you know, I was I was afraid to tell my parents, one, not just of a different faith, but, um, you know, girls are really protected in our community and women in general and mm -hmm. um, arranged marriage is still something very prominent and in the U.S. even if it means introductions through the family um, but it was something at a very young age actually even before I started college that my parents asked me if I wanted to get married at 18 and I was like no I want to go to college um, but it's in a way for them to sort of protect us and they see it as women sort of in some ways holding the honor of the family as in if we go the wrong way or in a way that's not within the rules of the community, um, mm -hmm. then we can really taint the family name. And so there was this fear sort of already built into me of really sharing this person that I had um, really felt a really deep connection with. And mm -hmm. So at some point, you know, I did share with a family member who, you know, was trying to convince me to share with my family, with, with my mm. parents. And I wasn't ready at the time. And my trust was betrayed and mm. it was broken. And, you know, my family found out and, and I was completely open then. Mm. You know, it was never that I was hiding anything. I just hadn't shared it yet and I wanted to share it in a way that was gonna feel comfortable and safe for me and mm -hmm. so when that did happen you know my my family was a little bit shocked and um, really wanting me to, to just to end the relationship and were dissuading me from staying in it and giving me all these reasons as to why it didn't work mm -hmm. and I really understand where they're coming from considering their background, where they grew up, and the times that they grew up. You know, they grew up in a very different time. Um, they were only seven years old when the partition of India and Pakistan happened, and they grew up close to the border. And women did really need to be protected, and in, in a lot of ways still in that area. In northern India, women are very much protected because for thousands of years, women have been used as pawns in war, have been kidnapped, raped, you know, there's all these stories that are not from too long ago. And so I really understand they're wanting to protect me. Um, but it definitely created 
um, a divide in some ways in our relationship. And that felt really uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, but I felt it, you know, this was my life. I needed to stand up for myself. And, you know, if my family truly loved me, uh, they would hear me out and they would want to hear, you know, what, what made me feel good. So mm-hmm. that's kind of just a little bit about what happened. Yeah, thank you. And, you know, you, you referred to the division within your family between you and them. And so um, to dig on that a little bit, um, did you experience um, any shame uh, cast upon you? Um, did you experience any uh, double standards? And, and if so, um, you know, could you share uh, what your experience in that regard was. Yeah, thank you for bringing that up. I mean, there's definitely a double standard. Um, I, as I mentioned, have two older brothers, and yeah. their experience, I imagine, just from witnessing, mm-hmm. was a lot different than mine. And the questions that I was asked, and, um, you know, in some ways, the way I was treated, and, you know, I do look back and, and realize that there was a bit of shaming that happened as well to to them also, um, and but I felt like in a lot of ways I was being treated differently because I was a woman, and so there was a little bit of shaming in and trying to also like manipulate me or trying to convince me to change my mm-hmm. mind through means of um, you know financial support. I had mm-hmm. just graduated college, I was still getting on my feet, um, but you know that was a moment I said, hey. Well, you know, I, I greatly, greatly appreciate your support. And, mm-hmm. you know, as we had talked earlier, like I really see the privilege that I have mm-hmm. and, you know, really acknowledge all of the hard work that my parents have done to get to get me there, to even send me to school and support me. And so I really, really appreciated that. Um, but I also mm-hmm. sort of negotiated saying, hey, these are some promises you made. Can you support me in these ways? Mm-hmm. And then, all right. You know, I'm on my own, and that's fine. Um, but I felt, okay, well, you have supported, you know, your sons in ways that I feel I should also receive that support. And just mm-hmm. because I'm a woman, I shouldn't be treated differently. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, um, one thing I want to call out is, you know, despite being slighted in the way that you were, and having to experience the double standard, how you found it within you to negotiate and advocate for yourself um, as opposed to, I know that depending on the situation, if I was in your shoes, I could have very easily said, well, you know what, I don't need you. And um, though I would um, sort of feel um, almost um, kind of, um, I'm struggling to communicate here, but um, feel proud in some ways. Um, It would have created additional difficulty and struggle for me um, that ultimately would not be in my best interest as far as, you know, the amount of struggles that I'm sort of putting myself through. And for you to in some respects, put your ego aside and still try to advocate 
for yourself speaks volumes to, um, you know, self-love, right? Um, which I think is uh, an important part of the conversation in this regard. Um, so I definitely wanted to call that out. Um, so you stand up for yourself um, and you are in L.A. and you're in this relationship. What came of that relationship? So I think, you know, connecting to what we just talked about, something mm -hmm. that was really instilled in me from my parents and from my community was a sense of tribe. And so this was also one of the reasons I, you know, probably subconsciously didn't want to burn bridges because my tribe was very, very important to me and still is, you know, not just my immediate family, but my extended family. And so, mm -hmm. you know, there was always that fear of, of what will people think? And so mm -hmm. there, that fear was instilled in me and that shame of, you know, connecting to the family, but also losing the tribe. And so, mm -hmm. you know, in the, in the end, um, the relationship didn't work for a number of reasons. Mm -hmm. um, I was needing a tribe and was accustomed to having a tribe. And, you know, the, the family that I was connecting with, with this partner, um, mm -hmm. in a lot of ways didn't accept me because I was not part of their tribe because I mm -hmm. was different. So it was happening yes. on both sides. And, mm -hmm. you know, I, Sure, I was accepted in some ways, but in a lot of ways I wasn't because I wasn't yeah. of their faith. And so I could see how um, other women in their faith were being treated differently and how I was, you know, uh, not welcomed in the way that I could have been. And so, and I also was starting to, I realized at that point, um, you know, there was a lot of transitions happening um, you know, the, the economy had crashed. I wanted to go back to school and I wasn't really receiving that support in that relationship to do that. And there was a divide being created in, in a number of other ways. And, you know, in hindsight, I realized that I had sort of abandoned my soul at that point and started to disconnect from my spirituality and having been away from my tribe and my community for so long, um, you know, this sort of realization was slowly creeping in. And once I, you know, ended the relationship and moved back, it definitely, I was able to see where I was missing out on my tribe. And I was also really disconnected from myself. Mm. You know, I had um, made this person my everything. And that was not possible because mm. a tribe is necessary. It takes a, a village to raise a child. It, it takes a village to support a person and mm -hmm. one person can't be your everything so yeah that's kind of what happened with that but looking back I realized that I had sort of abandoned my faith you know I was um, still connected to my faith when I was in college and because you know there was a difference in connection to the divine um, this partner was also not connected to the divine and had mm -hmm. a um, an experience uh, that was uh, worse than what I had. I mean, I was definitely in, in high school 
at some point resisting sort of the cultural practices, the, the religious practices, because I was trying to um, find myself outside of my family. Um, but he had experienced um, something far worse. And it was, you know, religion really forced down his throat. And so he lost his connection to the divine. And, you know, years after I came back, I really started to connect back with myself and looked back at how that was part of my life where I abandoned myself. And so I vowed to not do that again and vowed to really stay connected to what was important for me and my connection to the divine, regardless of anybody else and what their experience was or whether they believed or not. Mm -hmm. That's, that's wonderful. Thank you for sharing. And so, you know, as a result of the decision you made to end that relationship um, and sort of pursue your masters closer to home and in doing so reconnect with your family, your faith, your community, your tribe, and yourself and your spirit. Um, talk to us, paint me a picture of what that journey of empowerment, um, especially as you created space by, you know, um, you know, leaving that old life behind, right? In the space that was created, the people that came in, your journey of empowerment, um, you know, as it relates to your individuality, your independence, um, while you were in your master's program look like? Yeah, so when I came back, I definitely was trying to find myself again, because I had sort of absorbed mm -hmm. myself into um, that relationship and also this idea of who I could be when I lived in LA. There was, um, and just recently, I think earlier this year, I, I took a trip down there and mm -hmm. did some healing around that of releasing the story of this version of myself that I thought I still was and still this sort of uh, idealization of um, this life I could have in LA and, and going back there and realizing, no, that's not who I am anymore. And there has been a huge shift. And since I've moved back and that was in 2009. And so it took a few years where, you know, I went back to school and that, you know, I made a lot of new friends and um, also decided to travel abroad. And so, mm -hmm. um, I went and traveled in Europe for a month and that was my first time sort of traveling by myself, but in a group, like on a tour. And mm. that, you know, really allowed me to see that no matter where I went, my problems or whatever was concerning me went with me. Mm. So it didn't matter where I was. That was something within me and that was something that I needed to face and work through. Mm. And, you know, living in India for a little bit, exploring that, and, you know, coming back and, and um, really appreciating being home. Mm -hmm. And, you know, subsequently after that, I traveled to many, many countries. I've traveled to about 22 countries so far. And mm -hmm. that all happened after I left LA. And mm -hmm. 
really was like, okay, what is this life that I idealized that I thought I was going to live because of this person or because of that freedom? It's like, I can have that freedom here. And so I really started to take the reins of my own life. And, you know, even though I was facing some resistance a little bit from my family too, of like, hey, why are you traveling? You're a woman. You shouldn't be going by yourself. You should go with a husband. I said, well, I don't have a husband and I'm not going to wait and put my life on hold for a partner to live my life. And so in this journey, um, you know, about, I would say, six years, seven years after I moved back, um, and was really just starting to discover myself here in the Bay Area um, through experiences, through just different modalities. Um, mm. Well, the modalities came around this time of um, deciding to take a trip to Bali and my first solo trip where I wanted to just be with myself. And I had mm. been sort of chasing experiences and realized that that wasn't fulfilling me. And so there was a friend that inspired me who had gone to Bali and, um, you know, I had read the book, Eat, Pray, Love, and I was really feeling inspired that I was in that place of self-discovery. And so I found this spiritual retreat in Bali and I traveled for a week alone in Bali. And then another week I had at this retreat and I got exposed to Reiki um, to Chini Sang, which is a Chinese abdominal massage, Chinese astrology, kinesiology, and another, uh, a couple other healing modalities mm-hmm. and yoga and meditation. And, um, and then when I came back, there was just this like sort of knowing of like, I need to connect with Reiki. And so I looked for a teacher here in the Bay Area and found one in San Francisco and then signed up for Reiki training. And so that kind of started opening up my or reawakening my connection to the divine Mm. and sort of um, really connecting to, I would say, magic. You know, some people make made fun of me, um, you know, years after that of like believing in what they did not believe and what they could not see. Mm. Um, Mm. And yeah, it's just been an amazing journey since then. So thank you so much for sharing. I want to delve a little deeper into something that you said, you know, um, to say it differently, you said that you had a realization, a profound realization that you don't need to depend on anybody to experience the things that, 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 that you want to experience. And that is such an ingrained attitude, mentality, um, in a lot, lot of um, circles, um, most definitely uh, the Desi um, sort of South Asian uh, tradition. And, and you also spoke to some of the uh, challenges around, you know, the kinds of um, sentiments you had to deal with, um, with your family as you started to come into your own and and travel more independently. How difficult was the decision um, to step out of your comfort zone and say, hey, I'm going to go to Bali, um, knowing that I'm going to encounter resistance and fear projection and all of these things? I think at the point that I you know, went to Bali, I had already traveled quite a bit. Mm. And so 
I was used to just saying, "Hey, well, I'm doing this whether you like it or not. I'm my own person and I'm an adult now and you can't really control me." And you know, mm-hmm. also sharing my trips with my parents and I remember one time actually showing my mom photos from a trip I took to Costa Rica and mm-hmm. showing her some of the things that I did like zip lining and jumping off of a hanging bridge and she was like wow you know she's like why would you do that but i could see in her eyes that there was a part of her that was like wow she's going and doing things and living her life and i remember at some point one of my aunts came over when i was at my parents house and she was like hey why don't you show your aunt that that video or those photos and so i could really see that i was starting to live the life and do the things that my mom never got to do and the things that she couldn't have even imagined and so you know um there's a poem by Rupi Kaur where she talks about that you know that that you know I'm the first woman in my lineage to have the freedom of choice I'm the first woman in my lineage to speak my truth and you know my ancestors my aunties and grandmothers are probably huddled around the mud stove um drinking you know uh, masala chai and thinking wow one of our own is getting to live so boldly and so i could see that i'm starting to do the things and say the things that the women before me didn't get to do and i had those conversations with my mom and still do and i think she finally has realized that hey yeah i have to change something otherwise we're going to continue going the way that you were and not you know and i'm not going to have the freedom and i'm not going to have my voice heard and this is not why you came to the us this is not you know you came here for to give us more experiences and if you wanted me to stay quiet and stay the same way you would have stayed in india you wouldn't have educated me and told me to become independent this is who i am as a result of what you have taught me so that's something that i echo back to my parents very regularly that to my dad even like i am my father's daughter you have given me all of this knowledge and taught me to be free and so now i am i'm i'm flying as much as i can wow that is so powerful on so many levels um first and foremost this admiration that uh your mom despite um all of the struggles she had which we talked about earlier you know we understand why they feel the way they do especially towards their daughter um but, but to see that evolution of admiration for her child as a woman to boldly live her life jumping off of a bridge um and then and then to also sort of you as a child reminding you know uh, uh your parents of you know I, i am the sum of all of your efforts right like there's a reason why you came to this country there's a reason why you as a woman sort of fed me the ideas um and everything that you did 
And here I am in a place where I can realize more of my potential than you were able to or that our ancestors were able to. So accept me as I am. Um, that's powerful. Thank you for sharing that. Um, so getting back to the topic of Reiki, um, you mentioned that you were called to it. Can you help us understand why you were called to it? What is it about Reiki that resonated with you as much as it did? So when I experienced Reiki for the first time in Bali, I honestly didn't really feel much, but mm. there was this trust that I had of like what was coming through of, you know, what the healer was sharing with me blocks in my energy field and my body. Mm. And I started to notice a shift and um, the kinesiologist I had worked in, with uh, in Bali she had talked to me about love languages at that time. And mm. I had not known anything about that. And I realized my love language is touch. And so I, when I came back, I, yeah, I just was feeling this call to it. And I looked into it more. And when I learned about, you know, just uh, that it's hands-on healing and possibly the chakra system, which I had learned about growing up, um, from my dad and my brother, they were part of a um, they were part of a meditation community that did hands on healing, but it was called something else. I don't mm. think they even had a name for it. And so um, I had already been exposed to this in, in so many ways in my life. Mm. And mm. so I, I took the, the dive into it and said, okay, I'm going to get Reiki training. And mm. first and foremost, it's for myself to, to be able to heal myself. And if I can also support people in my family and my community, great. Um, and so this started, sort of started the journey. And when I was practicing on others, because that's part of, you know, once you start, once you get an attunement in Reiki, you need to practice to start to build that muscle, of, mm -hmm. you know, allowing energy to flow through you, but also to, to strengthen your intuition. And when people shared with me what they were experiencing, it really started to like call me even more of like, you know, the sensations they were feeling, the ease and relaxation they would feel, mm -hmm. and, and oftentimes experiences that they were having. Um, and I was like, wow, this is really doing something. And even if I don't feel what they feel or see what they see, they're receiving mm -hmm. whatever they need to receive. And this does have an, a profound effect. Um, mm -hmm. and, you know, over the course of years, it sort of started to open me up to other modalities and also just starting to expand my awareness and consciousness mm -hmm. of, um, also how to like build a strong relationship with myself mm -hmm. and with the divine and, you know, also everyday tools to use for self-care, um, mm -hmm. Yeah, so that kind of started my journey into Reiki. Mm, thank you. You know, one thing um, of note that I want to sort of call more attention to is how you alluded to the fact that when you first experienced Reiki, you were somewhat of a skeptic, right? You didn't feel 
um, much. However, there was something within you that, you know, let's call it inexplicable, that um, called you and kept calling you to explore and enlighten yourself and, and educate yourself and, and seek out knowledge in this regard. Now, I want to put a pin in that for just one second. And earlier today, uh, you shared a post with me about sort of this over-reliance on the intellect as it relates to Western scientific thinking, which primarily and large parts of it over the last couple of hundred of years um, was dominated by um, sort of European um, mentalities, especially those um, traditions, cultures, countries um, who were colonizers, right? And um, as part of, you know, um, this um, sort of stewardship, for lack of a better term, of uh, this Western scientific way of thinking, um, there was a lot of shade. There was a lot of doubt cast upon anything that did not fit that way of thinking. And, and a lot of it um, is ingrained, uh, even in those amongst us who are not white, right? Because um, we grew up in a certain world. Right. And there's this programming of feeling discomfort in trying to better understand traditions of our ancestors who they relied on for God knows how long. Right. And in trying to reconnect with those roots and learnings and teachings, this discomfort within yourself. Right as a way of deprogramming what we might have been led to believe of, you know, Reiki, the chakra system, yoga, you know, energetic healing, not be being a verifiable way of measuring how effective a healing modality might be. So that was brilliant first of all for you to share that with me and the timing of it all but I'd love to hear you share more about your journey navigating that struggle you know and probably at times you said it yourself your friends making you feel like you know they're whatever challenging emotion you know uh um, and, and, and what was it like for you to navigate that and, and continue to follow that voice, that intuition, please share with us. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, it brings back a lot of memories of various people, particularly people that I loved very deeply and them having a really deep effect on me when mm -hmm. they didn't believe me 
And it wasn't even about believing me. It was just trusting that, you know, what I was experiencing was my experience and saying, okay, mm. I honor what your experience is. And I've found that oftentimes because somebody hasn't experienced something, they mm -hmm. automatically don't believe it. And mm -hmm. I, I've started to have more, give them more grace mm -hmm. and also have more compassion um, for those that have not experienced, that have resistance because of all that you said of these, um, this programming to not believe because we need a scientific reason as to why it works. Um, and I think because I have been initiated uh, multiple times in my life, initiated in the Sikh faith um, by taking Amrit, which is called Nectar, being initiated through the Vietnamese teacher, Lung Ming Deng, being initiated again through Reiki. This was like a re-remembering for me. And from, you know, what I've learned um, in the last two years, you know, uh, and, and even growing up learning about karma and that, you know, my soul is infinite. There are things that I had believed and I have believed for a long time and, and for a moment had, had lost faith because others in my life didn't believe and didn't believe there was a higher power because of their wounding. Um, something that's really kept me going is my faith and saying, mm. hey, well, you know, I've seen my parents manifest things in their life. And that is through the teachings that they grew up with, through teachings that they've learned. My dad, we still talk about it, how he has talked about manifestation of like, you know, he wanted a certain type of car. And so he like had a picture of it and he meditated on it and he got the same car, the same color, you know, mm. all of that. Um, he was able to manifest things, um, you know, through his, his prayer, his meditation, um, through also giving back. Um, you know, and, and so I believe in this divine connection. I experience it all the time now um, through the divine timing of that post that I shared with you. I literally just saw it like, um, you know, an hour or two before I sent it to you. And I think that once we start opening up to receive and we put down our walls, we start to, to, to experience things. And then that's really the best thing you can do is experience it. You know, don't, don't be a naysayer if you've never actually experienced it because you don't have any, any experience with the, with the thing that you're, you're putting down. Um, but I continue to go forward and I had community. Um, the, the book, The Secret, was really something that helped support me, the law of attraction. Mm. So I started to use the law of attraction of calling in people in my life that were more aligned with me, that were on the same path. And slowly but surely, I started to see these people arrive. And those that were not in alignment with me were starting to mm. fall away. And some of the relationships were definitely more challenging to release. Um, but when I released them, when I fully released them from my heart and, and knew that that was not the best path for me to stay in these relationships, um, things really started to shift and open up. And I've seen just in the last two years how much has shifted in my life. Mm. Wow. Mm. Thank you. Um, thank you for sharing that um, and validating uh, my own
own experience, right, of um, the journey I have been on um, and how it's fraught with a lot of difficulty, but uh, the belief in the magic, right, of if you believe in it, then it will reveal itself and your desires um, rooted in your heart will start to manifest themselves. Um, I, I want to spend a little bit of time before we end for today um, um, try, trying to better understand, you know, um, given Reiki and energetic healing is, is something that is not well understood, um, generally speaking, in our society, but which is changing. And you're playing a role in that. Um, there is also uh, an aspect of Reiki even though it is primarily a touch-based healing modality where you can um, perform and heal somebody via distance using technology. And, and I know there's a lot of people who would really question um, how effective um, that could actually be. And when we were chatting, you shared a profound explanation for uh, what gives you faith in the belief that Reiki and energetic healing not only works, but we as individuals have the power if we set our intentions to heal even via distance and defy the time-space continuum. So can you please elaborate on that, please? Yeah, thank you. Um, one thing I was remembering was when we first talked, you had shared that you had only experienced Reiki via distance and you didn't know that it was actually hands-on. And so I thought that was really surprising. And you're the first person that I have met that had that experience. Where it's usually mm. reversed. People have either never experienced Reiki or they've only experienced it in person. And so mm. you know, when people say, oh, well, what do you mean you can send it through, through the computer? Like, I don't even need to be on the phone, like on the phone or the computer. Well, yeah, like, how are we having this conversation right now through a phone? Like, how does that work? I don't need to know. I'm experiencing it. I don't need to know all the science behind it. I trust it. I trust my experience. And to be honest, this could all be a part of our imagination that we've all co-created together. And that's something that I've actually heard of as well, is that we are co-creating all of these planes and all this material because we have decided as human race to do that collectively. And so we can shift that perspective by really just looking at what is around us? How does the TV work? How do the radio work, waves go through uh, time and space? 
you know, they do. And I don't need to know all the science behind it because it works. And I've experienced it. And I also have a number of people that have experienced Reiki with me, that have experienced it without me, with other people. I had a client who told me they had experienced Reiki before and had never, they didn't feel anything and they didn't know it worked. But he had this calling after a chakra workshop that I did that, hey, let me try it out. And so he tried a little mini session and he had a very profound experience. And, you know, just hearing people's experiences as well, um, you know, being in uh, plant medicine ceremonies and supporting people with Reiki and then hearing afterwards how profound it was for them, how it really helped them get through a block and, and sort of step over a hurdle that they were facing. That really gives me faith in, you know, continuing to do this work. And there's a certain experiences that are hard to explain. And everybody's um, consciousness is different. And so we're not going to all experience the same thing. A lot of times people have expectations of Reiki, of other energy modalities, of working with plant medicine, of even yoga or Ayurveda. Like they don't, they don't trust, they don't have faith. And, you know, it takes time. Sometimes, you know, it even takes our, our being, time, our body, our, our energy body to, to actually absorb that healing. And it also takes a lot of surrender and a lot of just being open, just like it takes mm -hmm. when we love. And so, you know, in this experience of, of love, I've noticed in my relationships, even with people, of people resisting or believing that love is even there. And that's often a result of their own experiences and their own traumas. Um, and there's resistance there. And so once they start to feel something, they doubt it because they're, they're kind of in this pattern of trauma. And so um, I've seen a lot of reasons why people are resistant to it, not only because we've been brainwashed in so many ways to believe it's not true, to keep mm -hmm. us under control and to keep our consciousness at bay uh, so that we don't question things. You can see what's happening on a global scale that people are questioning things and starting to really take their power back. And that, that's a reason why um, we've been kept asleep for so long and that's starting to shift. So energy work uh, is one of the modalities. You can use acupuncture, you can use Ayurveda, um, uh, even acupressure. Like there's so many different modalities, yoga, meditation, you can get to um, states of consciousness that have not been explained. Science is now, there are some people that are studying meditation and Reiki is in hospitals. John Hopkins has Reiki, UCSF has Reiki. They're starting to offer it to hospice patients. Um, so there is research starting to be done on this work, but it's something that you really need to experience. And so I really go based on experience and you know people are looking for the science behind it i really encourage you to start doing that research be one of those people that's leading that that um you know research to explain to those that need to explain it but i think that really when we need to start dipping down into our hearts so that wanting to rationalize everything that's the the masculine part of our our being and it's like when we're stuck in our head a lot and when we yeah. drop into our hearts we can really step into our feminine aspect and mm -hmm. really be in flow and start to trust. 
That's what our intuition is. It's trust. Our gut feeling is trust. It's not based on science. You know, we know when to breathe. We know when we're hungry because we're listening to our instincts. And so, you know, this work is really about tapping into our intuition and our deeper instinct. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that um, trust when you surrender is rooted in a belief. And really, that's the foundation of all belief um, and the leap of faith that we, uh, we know about. And that's something that's not an alien topic to uh, most of us. Um, and it's a wonderful way of, um, you know, sort of making it relatable to um, audiences who've never heard of Reiki or chakras, right? or energetic healing, but you think about it, how does modern telecommunications and modern technology really work? It's through movement of energy uh, in a lot of different ways. And we have powers as humans. So it is with that, um, I can't begin to thank you, uh, Virpal, for making the time and showing up, um, you know, in your power with so much courage to share uh, on topics, um, not not just one. (laughs) I counted at least three separate topics that are, you know, somewhat controversial and it speaks volumes to your courage as a woman um your courage as a Sikh um your courage as a human to show up to speak your truth with the intention of stirring something within others inspiring them for that I am very grateful for the opportunity to honor you in this way. And I am very grateful to our audience for making the time in their life to absorb what we are emitting. Um, With with that, um, do you have any last words that you would like to share before we end for the day, Rebel? Um, well, so if anybody's interested in learning more about Reiki, you can reach out to me and you can also check out my website, risinglotusreiki.com. I also host events in San Francisco and I'm in the Bay Area. So um, definitely just reach out if you want to have a conversation or you're interested in any of the things that I mentioned. I'm here and I really just want to thank you, Lion, for just an even initiating this conversation and thanking all of my sisters out there that have done things to break the chains of their uh, ancestry and really starting to shift things for your lineages. It's really taking a lot of us uh, to shift things on this planet and um, really also for not just the feminine but the masculine to step up and honor the feminine 
and really change the stories and relating towards towards women. And so I really I really honor you, Lion, for doing that and and being a divine masculine and holding this container for me um, and for these conversations. Um, because as you mentioned, we are leaving a legacy here, and I really appreciate you uh, just holding this space. So thank you so much. Well, it is my privilege to have this opportunity. Uh, and on that note, um, we'll be sharing uh, Virpal's contact and Instagram information in the episode description. And um, with that, I bid you all adieu, love and light, till the next episode. Cheers. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of the Get Out of Your Comfort Zone series. I hope it moved you and inspired you if you are feeling stuck with something in your life. If you would like to further connect with our guest, please see their contact in the description. Please consider taking a moment to rate this podcast. Please also consider showing us some love on your Instagram story. You can find our info in the episode description. Until the next episode, I wish you infinite love and light. Thank you so much for tuning in.